and pro... This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. I guess the Pope has at it again. He has decided to renew a 2018 deal with China, allowing the Chinese Communist Party to have a say in the appointment of bishops within its borders viewing the agreement as a small step forwards toward promoting religious freedom in China. Is that really what it's about? You can say what you want people to believe that it's about, but is that really what it's about? According to one observer, the renewed accord betrays countless underground Catholics who will not budge under the pressure of the CCP, Chinese Communist Party. Xi Jinping desires to be the only head of the Chinese Catholic Church, and the Pope allows it. That is the statement from this latest release here today. While the Vatican views the largely secret agreement as a way to maintain ties to Chinese Catholics and lessen the persecution they face, critics think the deal is soft on China and undermines the Church's authority. But that's not all it does. Six bishops have been appointed in China since the accord went into effect in 2018. There are still 40 dioceses in China without a bishop. The party seeks to hijack religion, but it knows if it pushes too hard, the relationship will break and the hijacking won't work. So it's a balancing act. Why does the CCP, Chinese Communist Party, want to hijack religion? It's because, friends, people are religious. Even in communist China, people are religious. There is a religious, there's a a vacuum. As Blaise Pascal once said, there is a God-shaped vacuum in every person, even a communist. So, if you are Xi Jinping, you want absolute control because you're creating a new world Chinese order. On the other hand, you realize that you cannot accomplish that without religious backing of some sort, some kind of religious underpinning that the people can comfort themselves with and uh, believe that somehow they are more than just the playthings of a global order. So, Xi Jinping plays the game. But he's not the only one playing the game. The Pope is also playing exactly the same game, except from the other side of the coin. The Pope also wants a new global order. In fact, he wants a new resurrected Roman global order. He wants a resurrected Tower of Babel, a Babylon global order. The Chinese want a Chinese global order. Each one of them wants to be king of the mountain. But the Pope doesn't want to be a, shall we say, a secular king. He wants to remain the spiritual king. He wants to be the one who actually deals 
powerfully with the secular powers, whatever they may be, whether it's China, whether it's the Western world, whatever it might be, he wants to be the one that helps to undergird the rising new global order, whatever it might be. And so he's playing both ends against the middle. It's interesting to watch this. Now you, if you're a practicing Catholic, uh, and we have many Catholic listeners to this program, but if you are, uh, those statements might be a little troubling to you unless you've been listening to this program for a long time. And so I urge you to stay tuned today because I'm going to provide you with a, shall we say, a, a revelation of what Pope Francis is really about in his own words. And then also from the observations of those around him and around the world. And so I, I urge you to stay tuned. You're listening to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. It's conversation is always with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms. And I'm going to make another statement here. I've made this statement many, many times over the air. We are not coming against people who happen to be raised in the Catholic Church, people who happen to be Catholics as they identify themselves today. What we're dealing with here is something much bigger. It's called the papacy. You need to understand that. It is something very, very different. And the Vatican, which is the smallest smallest, uh, uh, state, so to speak, in the world, also arguably has the greatest power and control. It's a religious power. And the Pope knows that. In fact, the leaders of the world know that. And so the secular leaders of the world, of their governments, and the papacy continue to vie back and forth for power. Well, we know that power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. So why then would a book have come out not long ago called Absolute monarchy describing the papacy. Absolute monarchy. Yet Xi Jinping, you see, wants to be the absolute monarch of China, a new world order. Then there is going to be another absolute authority, a deified authority called the Antichrist. He will be the head of a uh, a secular government power that will also need the support of the Pope or the papacy. And he will get it. In fact, he already has it, even though the Antichrist himself has not yet been identified. And so in order to understand this, I urge you to seriously consider getting a copy of my book, King of the Mountain. The epic, eternal, and end-time battle, for it is written, He that rules the Temple Mount is deemed to rule the world. In order to understand the dynamics of what are currently taking place, what is going to be taking place increasingly, and what has been taking place ever since Satan confronted God in the Mount 
the temple, not in the temple mount, but in the mount of God in the heavenlies, and then declared he would be like the Most High God. Ever since that moment, this trajectory of the do do between secular government and spiritual authority has been playing out, and it is now entering its final moments in world history, I believe. Now, with that having been said, uh, we move forward to see that uh, there is a reason, there's a motivation, a raison d'etre, why the Pope, Pope Francis, would embrace China and allow a secular, God-denying, God-despising premier of China to appoint bishops of a so-called Christian church. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. In order to understand the dynamics of what happened when uh, Pope Francis entered into this agreement with China back in 2018 and now renewed it uh, for another two years this year, we need to go back to 2011. This article came out in The Economist, believe it or not. Why would The Economist, a magazine, a liberal magazine primarily, uh, focusing on the economy, why would it be looking at the Pope and China dealing with appointment of bishops? We need to ask ourselves a question like that. The reason is that it has powerful economic overtones or undertones as related to the pursuit of a new world government. That's the reason. But let's take a look at what happened in 2011. The Vatican said, without giving details, that there were proven and very grave reasons. That's a quote. Proven and very grave reasons why Lei Xinin could not be made a bishop there in China. But on Easter Sunday, he was nevertheless sporting a crozier and mitre, sprinkling holy water onto 300 or so worshipers at a cathedral in the city of Lishan. Bishop Lei is one of several Catholic prelates who were appointed by Chinese state religious authorities without the blessing of the Pope. So, Bishop Lei is a senior official in the government-backed Chinese Patriotic Catholic Association. He is also an advisor to the National Parliament. Now think about this. Here is a godless parliament led by a godless leader, a communist leader dedicated to ruling the world by communism within 30 years, 
and there's a so-called bishop of the Catholic Church representing Christians, ostensibly, but he's a senior official in the government-backed Chinese Patriotic Catholic Association, which is a government-sponsored, authorized organization that has absolutely nothing to do with the Pope, the Vatican, or even genuine Christianity. It is a government-authorized version of Christianity acceptable to Xi Jinping. He's also an advisor to the national parliament. So what do you think he's advising? Do you think he's advising things with regard to the kingdom of God? Hardly. Because to do that is treason. You see, if Xi Jinping has been virtually deified, he is the supreme leader now of China. 1.3 billion people sees China as ruling the world within not more than 30 years. Then you can well understand that this advisor to the national parliament is not talking about the kingdom of God at all. He can't be, because that would be seen as a treasonous act. Yet, Pope Francis is encouraging this. We have to ask the question, why? That is almost always the salient question, the one that very few people want to talk about. The why question. You see, here on Viewpoint... We don't just talk about who, what, where, and when. We also talk about why. In fact, we put the primary emphasis on why. Not on who, not on what, not on uh, when, but on why. Because that deals with motivations. That's what deals with the real purpose and reason that we need to understand. But if that's not dealt with, We can't connect the dots. And we're going to connect the dots here on Viewpoint again today. The Washington Times carried this headline. Pope Francis hops aboard chilling globalist Great Reset World Economic Forum wagon. Let me read that headline again. Pope Francis hops aboard chilling Globalist Great Reset World Economic Forum Wagon. Now, what is that all about? Here's the article. Pope Francis, in remarks to the Apostolic Palace, said the coronavirus has provided the perfect opportunity for economies of the world to reimagine markets and push businesses to put social justice rather than profits at the core of their pursuits. In layman's terms, he's calling for an end to capitalism and a worldwide implementation of socialism. He just picked up the World Economic Forum's Socialist Collectivist Great Reset and moved it just a little bit more down the road. Now, these are not my words. They're coming from the Washington Times. It's no secret that this pope, along with many globalists and elitists with their own designs for world dominance, a -a once-in-a-lifetime chance, they see, to force a massive change. 
In other words, never let a crisis grow to waste. So the Pope is urging governments to use the pandemic. That's why they had to continue to create a sense of fear about it. They had to drive the people. And the Pope was part of that. This is just what the World Economic Forum is advocating via its Great Reset. Now, we're going to move from that, and I want to take you to my book, King of the Mountain. Chapter entitled, The Beast of Blasphemy. The Beast of Blasphemy. And uh, I want to share with you a few paragraphs from this particular chapter, because it's going to... Uh, shall we say, minimize or uh, shorten what I would otherwise have to say without reading it to you. So here we go. The heading here under the chapter, The Beast of Blasphemy, is Religion, the New Politics. A veteran European journalist wrote, quote, what is emerging in Europe is a holy European empire in attempt to rebuild the old empire united under the Pope. This is becoming blatant. This is all a quote, by the way. The stained glass window of the Council of Europe at Strasbourg Cathedral features the Virgin Mary under a halo of 12 stars, the same stars you see on the EU flag. The Vatican is playing a major role in the creation of a new holy European empire, unquote. Further quote, The Pope repeatedly called for religious unity in Europe. This means a united Catholic Europe, which was consecrated to Mary by the Vatican in 1309 A.D., unquote. Otto van Habsburg, head of the House of Habsburg, whose family dominated Europe for centuries as the continent's leading Catholic layman, wrote in The Social Order of Tomorrow these words. Now we do possess a European symbol which belongs to all nations equally. This is the crown of the Holy Roman Empire, which embodies the tradition of Charlemagne, the ruler of a united Occident. Now, what did Charlemagne try to do in 80 AD? He tried to unite Europe into a Holy Roman Empire. It didn't work. Now they're trying to do it again. But this time, it's not just about Europe. This time, it's about the world. Because Europe then becomes a symbol. Oh, that's exactly what they say. How then does this European symbol, which belongs to all nations, extend the Holy Roman Empire to become a global Holy Roman Empire? On May 29, 2008, the former British Prime Minister, Tony Blair, declared, quote, I'll dedicate the rest of my life to uniting the world's religions. He went on to say, faith is part of our future, an essential part of making globalization work. He said faith could be a civilizing force in globalization. Notice the goal. Now, in order to be part of that globalization effort, Tony Blair left the Church of England and converted to Catholicism after meeting with the Pope. Then, 
On May 30th, 2008, Mr. Blair formally announced the Tony Blair Faith Foundation. He declared this, Into this new world comes the force of religious faith. Unquote. His goal is to bring the six leading faiths together, Christian, Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist, Sikh, and Jewish. He said religion is the new politics. Unquote. Oh, that was declared by the new Catholic convertee, Tony Blair. He said religious faith will be the same significance to the 21st century as political ideology was to the 20th century. Oh, but we're not through. Mr. Blair, who serves also as Middle East peacemaker, the official emissary of the United States, the European Union, the United Nations, and Russia, told Time magazine, quote, that he converted to Catholicism to fully share his family's faith. But he plainly enjoys being part of a worldwide community with shared value traditions and rituals. But here's how Time magazine interpreted it. Listen. In a sense, the Catholic Church has long embodied the attributes of globalization that now engage Blair, unquote. Now, this, this rising spirit of globalism is compelling, friends, and profoundly deceptive. And it's drawing business and corporate leaders, political leaders and spiritual leaders, yes, even professed Christian leaders and Protestants of every stripe. It's kind of become the in thing a mark of savvy and uh, marketing ministry success. But the unfortunate thing is that the master, Jesus, becomes a little more than a mascot in pursuit of secondary agendas that wed the world in counterfeit unity or oneness. Counterfeit unity or oneness. Now, I want to ask you a question. What happened back in Genesis chapter 11? Do you remember that? Very famous occurrence. The people that survived the flood began to gather together to build a tower. A tower that would reach under heaven. God had instructed them to disperse throughout the earth and form their nations. They said no. We're going to band together. That's where the problem was. The problem wasn't just with the tower. The problem was with what the tower represented in the mind and heart of the people. They were banding together contrary to God's word, will, and ways. God did not want the people banding together in order to try to usurp God's authority with a false unity. In fact, God himself said, they're all speaking the same thing. Now nothing shall be restrained from them which they imagine to do. So he confounded their language. That's why it's called the Tower of Babel or Babel. Babel, that's where we get babbling. So they began to babble. They couldn't talk They couldn't be unified anymore because they couldn't understand one another and they weren't speaking the same thing. So they dispersed, which is what God told them to do in the first place. Ever since then, humankind has periodically 
formed another intention to do exactly what those people did in Genesis chapter 11. To unite around secondary purposes or agendas that they thought were important, to avert having to be united in God's truth. This is where Pope Francis and his globalist aspirations are putting him into the sphere, not of Christ, but of a counterfeit Christ. I want you to think about that for a moment. Now, I urge you to get a copy of my book, King of the Mountain, The Eternal Epic and End Time Battle. It's a a $20 book, yours for $15. It's on the website, saveus.org. You're going to find so much in that book, you're not going to want to put it down, really. It's on our website, saveus.org. Call us 1-800-SAVE-USA. We'll be right back. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, SaveUS.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, SaveUS.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcasts live and archived. Save America Ministries website at SaveUS.org. It's tough sometimes, friends, to be able to, to, to have the responsibility of dealing with these kinds of issues. But these are the kinds of issues that Christians should be concerned and interested in. Far more than the economy, far more than Republican or Democratic politics, as important as those things may be on the short term. These things are the bigger issue from God's perspective. God doesn't write about politics. He doesn't write about Democrats and Republicans or independents. He doesn't write about that kind of thing in his word. He writes about the spiritual viewpoint of the things that people do and why they do them and how God responds to them. That's what we do here on Viewpoint. We'll deal with political issues, but we always deal with them from a moral and spiritual Position, And that's why we don't have to be concerned about 501c3 status. We don't have to be concerned about the government taking dominion. Because that's where pastors get into trouble. Pastors get into trouble and they are motivated by fear because they're afraid if they talk about something that is seen as a political issue, that somehow that threatens their 501c3 status. No, it doesn't. It depends on how the pastor deals with it. If he's dealing with it at the political level, maybe so. But we don't do that here on this program. We're dealing with it from a biblical view, from a spiritual view, from a God view. You see, viewpoint determines destiny, and how we look at issues determines destiny. 
If we want to frame everything in a political framework, that's very temporal. But if we want to frame things in a eternal viewpoint or uh, outlook, then that's very different. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these other things will be added unto you. We don't want to do that. We want to seek first other alternatives. We want to seek first the kingdom of, uh, say, the kingdom of uh, Republicans, or the t- kingdom of Democrats, or the kingdom of uh, anti-this, or pro-this. or we, we always want to seek first those alternative uh, issues or agendas, and they become primary in our lives and obscure our real goal, which is to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then, if we will do that, then the issues, the political issues will begin to fall into place. But we don't want to believe that. We want to believe that we have to handle them at the political level solely. It's not that we shouldn't do a vote, that we shouldn't be involved at all in politics. That's not the point. The point is, that's not going to correct the problem. It's a short-term, band-aid, thumb-in-the-dike kind of remedy. The real problem is internal. It's the heart of we the people. And that's why uh, Don Hodel and Randy Tate, who took over for the Christian Coalition years ago uh, by appointment of Pat Robertson, made the statement that even if we were to elect professing Christians to every single elective office in America, the country still wouldn't change. You know why? They declared why. Because America will not change until the hearts of the people change. And for saying that, they were dismissed and kicked out of leadership in the Christian coalition. They said the right thing, but they were removed because it didn't raise money. Mm-hmm. We need to understand the motivations of the heart, friends, are what God is really after. So how do we know what the motivations of the heart are when we look at the papacy today or we look at the papacy, the last three papacies? The last three popes all in their way, called for a new world order, a new global order. All three of them. Pope John Paul II, Benedict XVI, and now Pope Francis. Every single one of them. Now that should be telling. Why did they do that? There was a motivation. What was their motivation? What did they hope to accomplish by declaring or calling for a new global order, new world order, a one-world government. I'll tell you what they hope to accomplish, and that is that the papacy would become the central figure, that the pope would become, uh, shall we say, the end-all to end-all in the world, unifying the world, together in a kind of a joint rulership with the secular government or power, and that ultimately the Pope would then supersede that secular power and become king of the roost, king of the mountain. 
That's what the vision of the papacy has been almost forever. The papacy intends to rule the world from the Temple Mount by declaration. Did you know that? You see, there's so much ignorance out there. People just do not understand the nature, the greater picture that we're dealing with. This is part of the spiritual warfare, friends. Our weapons are not against flesh and blood, but mighty through God to the taking down of strongholds, casting down every imagination, our our reasonings and thoughts and everything that seems to stand against God and his word and to bring every one of our own thoughts into captivity to the obedience of Christ, not the obedience of a political party, not the obedience of an ideology, not the obedience of anything else or even a denomination or even the Catholic Church or the Protestant Church or whatever. It's the obedience to Christ and Christ alone. Now, Pope Francis addressed the World Bank and International Monetary Fund on April 8th. He mentioned God only once, and that was in the last line of his letter. Instead, Francis focused on calling for, quote, a system of global government which would implement a new societal order based upon climate change policies and universal vaccination, unquote. You get the picture? It's not about the kingdom of God. It's about using other issues as devices to try to gather the people together in a counterfeit unity, not around God, but around alternative issues This is how the Tower of Babel is being rebuilt in our time. And the part, the Pope is part of the globalist community. And globalists have no room for nationalism. The political left is seeking to bring, for instance, America to its knees, crushing nationalism or any idea of nationalism. Nationalism stands in the way of a globalist utopia that has to have centralized totalitarian control. Why would the Pope be calling for that? Because that's exactly what he wants. Total control. You know, absolute monarchy. Absolute power. Absolute uh, corruption. Many American corporations are run by technocratic uh, globalists. They have no loyalty to our country, to America, or to Americans. Their loyalty is to the globalist ideal, which has no relationship whatsoever to Christ, but to the Antichrist, the spirit of Antichrist. That's where we are. We must understand this, my friends. Whether you're Protestant or Catholic or just plain a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, you might say, well, doesn't God want us to love one another? Of course he wants us to love one another. 
but he wants us to love one another according to his terms, not ours. To love one another does not mean you accept homosexuality, which God says is an abomination in his eyes. It doesn't mean you accept divorce and remarriage and adultery, which God says he hates. It doesn't mean you accept transgenderism, which is a perversion of God's created order by definition. It doesn't mean you accept any of those things. Now, you can love the people, but you have to hate evil. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. That's how you come into agreement with God. God hates evil. The Pope is having a hard time with hating evil because he wants to unify the unbelieving world under the mothering wings of the Vatican, which ostensibly is a Christian or spiritual enterprise, but not so much as you might think. This is the reason, friends, why for the past uh, 40 years, the effort in our schools, our public schools, our universities, and so on, has been to diminish our young people having any allegiance to their country. Don't want to salute the flag. Don't want a favorable view of American history. Want to look only at negative things so that they'll look at America as a negative thing rather than a positive thing, which will not unify them. And so they're unified against their country rather than for their country. <clears throat> That's the globalist agenda. Why? See, here's the question again. Why is that the globalist agenda? Because that's the only way they know that this country, which is the strongest country yet in the world, can be assimilated and brought into the new world order without massive firearms. They know that. And the Pope is helping to assimilate that. He's helping to accomplish that because he has no room for nations that God ordained. He wants to bring them all together like the Tower of Babel. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. Again today, we're talking about the spirit of the papacy. The Pope represents the papacy. The Pope is 
a shortened version of the pontiff, which is a shortened version of Pontifus Maximus. The Roman government, the ancient Roman government, was ruled by the Pontifex Maximus. He was the merger of church and state, or religion and secular government, and that's why the Roman emperors were deified. So the rising Antichrist will be, in, in essence, a deified, uh, reappearing, so to speak, of the ancient Roman emperors. A merger of religion and secular government in one powerful despotic rulership. But he can't get there without a strong religious underpinning. And that's where the papacy comes in. Here's a publication that came from the UK. Here's the headline. Pope joins global elite to plan for world after COVID. Really? To plan for the world? He joins the global elite to plan for the world? Why isn't he joining with genuine Bible-believing Christians? No, that's not what it is. He has a different vision. Pope Francis and leading Vatican officials held a meeting with many members of the world's global financial elite on how to reshape the world after the COVID pandemic. In other words, don't ever let a crisis grow to waste. Finance ministers of seven countries joined in the gathering. The conference was secret, was not advertised by the pontifical academies, and was closed to the press. I wonder why. Why do you think that is? Because the Pope didn't want the world to know what was really going on and what was really in his mind. But the Wall Street Journal seems to have an idea of what that is. Here's the headline. How Pope Francis became the leader of the global left. Pope Francis became the leader of the global left. Not just the left, but the global left. Distilling the article, Pope Francis has taken bold positions on a variety of issues, including migration, climate change, economic equality, and the rights of indigenous peoples. His June 2015 environmental encyclical, Laudato Si, called for a sharp reduction in the use of fossil fuels and described global warming as a major threat to life on Earth. Why didn't he talk about sin? Why didn't he talk about salvation? No, that's not who Pope Francis is. Francis' views, again, for the Wall Street Journal, very lengthy piece. Francis' views have allied him with groups that oppose some of the church's moral teachings. The Pope has reduced the awkwardness of his progressive alliances by playing down thorny questions of sexual and medical ethics. And then, finally, from Vatican City, religion news from Vatican City. Here's the headline. 
nationalism must not prevail. That's what Pope Francis said addressing the United Nations. Let me repeat that. Nationalism must not prevail. That's what Pope Francis said to the United Nations. In a video message to the United Nations, Pope Francis said COVID-19 pandemic had put the international community at a crossroads and that it's up to the U.N. leaders to decide whether to choose the path of multilateralism and dialogue or nationalism and individualism. He said, we are faced then with a choice between two possible paths. The pontiff said on the occurrence of the 75th anniversary of the United Nations. On one side, he said, there is a solidarity ground in justice and the attainment of peace and unity within the human family. He said, that's God's plan for our world. The other path, he warned, emphasizes self-sufficiency, nationalism, protectionism, individualism, and isolation. It must not prevail, he said. So now, he said, is a fitting time to renew the architecture of international finance. In other words, he's calling for a new world economy and new world currency. We don't have time to go into all of those things that he's calling for. Pope Francis spoke to the U.N. five years ago, a moment he described as being of great hope and promise for the international community as it prepared for the ambitious 2030 goals. 2030, the Pope is one of the premier leaders in the pursuit of the Great Reset which is a euphemism for a new world order, a new world government, and dispensing with all other nations and governments and the delegation of national, all national government to a one world government to be its ultimate authority. Now guess who will lead that? Well, that's yet to be determined, isn't it? But we know that the individual who will be the leader of that, that all will be reposed uh, into his care as the great, fearsome leader that will bring us uh, hope for the world and deliver us from all of our troubles and provide everything we need so that we don't need to worry about anything. He's called the Antichrist. And that's what the Pope is moving us toward. Some may say, are you saying that Pope Francis is the Antichrist? I'm not saying that. But what he is representing is certainly anti-Christ because God himself ordained the nations. And he said, do not gather together as the nations. I don't want you to do that. He did not want the people to glom together to try to achieve alternative means to avert having to deal with their responsibility to God as their creator. That's what Babylon was all about. That's what Babel, the Tower of Babel, was all about. And now, the European Union has built uh, buildings resembling the Tower of Babel. Uh, Amazon is building their new headquarters just out of Washington, D.C., designed as the Tower of Babel. 
And Amazon is a globalist organization. It might be in the United States. It's not a United States corporation. It is a global. It has no allegiance whatsoever to America. Now you can begin to understand, my friends, why the Democrat Party, which is almost 100% globalist, many in the Republican Party who are globalists, were radically against Donald Trump. Had nothing to do with his tweets. It had everything to do with the fact he said, we're going to make America great again. That's called nationalism. They said, we're not going to have any part of it. We're not going to emphasize America again. We're going to be a one-world government. That's why all the hoopla. You may hear a lot of other kinds of things, but that's the real reason. Don't kid yourself. That is the real reason. And I'm not here trumping for Donald Trump. I'm just telling you that's the reason why they're against him. The Pope says nationalism cannot prevail, must not prevail. In other words, he is against that which God is for. God wants to unify people according to his truth, not according to issues like climate change and uh, uh, whatever other kinds of issues we come up with. That's not God's plan. They are issues, but that's not how God unifies people. Jesus says, sanctify or set them apart according to thy truth. Thy word is truth. You don't hear that coming from the Pope. No. He's trying to do an end run around Jesus' words as the only begotten Son of God, full of grace and truth. He's trying to do an end run around that, just like the people at the Tower of Babel. Sorry to have to put it so bluntly. Now let's wrap this thing up. Revelation 17 talks about the mother of harlots. She gathers together herself the very colors worn by Roman Caesars with which Christ was mockingly clothed. In fact, the Catholic Encyclopedia declares her golden chalice the most important of the sacred vessels of gold or silver and the inside surfaced with gold. It's spoken of in Revelation 17, having a golden cup in her handful of abominations. For more than 1,500 years, the Roman Catholic Church under the Pontifus Maximus, the Pope, exercised both religious and civil control over Rome. The Pope abolished the Roman Senate and placed all authority under his hand. The Curia Romana that once governed Rome was adopted by the Roman Catholic Church as the Roman Curia that is now the whole ensemble of administrative and judicial offices through which the Pope directs the operations of the Catholic Church. That usurped authority is once again being merged as the woman that rides the beast of a resurrecting global Roman Empire. Her symbolic name is Babylon. Catholic apologist Carl Keating admits that Rome has long been known as Babylon. Keating claims that Peter's statement in 1 Peter 5.13, the church here in Babylon sends you her greeting, proves that Peter was writing from Rome. 
He further explains that Babylon is a code word for Rome. So to all, whether Catholic or Protestant, or whatever religious or political persuasion, the God of creation is warning from heaven, my friends, come out of her, my people. That you be not partakers of her sins, that you receive not of her plagues, for her sins have reached unto heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to professing Christians, Jews, and Gentiles across this shrinking globe. And there we have it. Again, this is not intended as a diatribe of some sort against people raised in the Catholic Church, people who, uh, even at this moment, uh, claim to be part of the Roman Catholic Church. That's something you'll have to deal with separately. This program today has nothing directly to do with that. It has to do with an uh, an institution called the Vatican ruled by the papacy, which is an alternative representative of Christ. After all, he insists upon being called Father and His Holiness. There is only one ultimately holy, my friend, and that is God. Consider it. Thanks for joining us. Get a copy of the book, King of the Mountain, the eternal epic end time battle, where he who rules the Temple Mount rules the world. A $20 book, yours for $15. It'll open your eyes to so many, 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 many different things and help us to understand the dynamics of what are taking place in our world today so that you and I will not be caught up in the massive deception that is coming upon us. Thanks for joining us. The book on our website, saveus.org, along with with Antichrist and uh, uh, Messiah, they're all there on the website, saveus.org. Again, so glad that you've joined us. Become a partner, friends. It's challenging to do what we do here, preparing the way of the Lord for history's final hour, every day, day after day, with new and fresh programming every single day. Go to the website. Make your generous contribution there. Call us, 1-800-SAVE-USA. Viewpoint with Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church, declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.